Hey there, thank you so much for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network. I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C., and the show is a service of our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you are a keynote speaker or you're a meeting planner, go to SpeakerMatch.com's virtual marketplace and hook up with one another, whether it's virtual presentations or in-person presentations when they begin again. SpeakerMatch.com is the place to be. Hey, if you're a longtime listener of the Big Time Talker podcast, you know that we love music and entertainment. We talk about everything, but I've got a special place in my heart for entertainers. And we've talked to members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Country Music Hall of Fame. But one genre of music holds a very special place for me, and that is jazz, an all-American song form, and specifically the Great American Songbook, those songs that are timeless from Artists like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Nat King Cole, Cole Porter, Peggy Lee. And one of the young cats in that genre that's keeping it alive is my buddy Dave Damiani. And he joins us to talk music today from Los Angeles, California. Hello, sir. How you doing, Burke? Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited about this. You are one of those guys that one would think you, you look at, at, at Dave Damiani, a guy your age, and you would think, okay, he's going to be into something else. It's going to be pop or it's going to be rock or uh, hip-hop even. But something has drawn you to this, this timeless music, and now you're all over SiriusXM. You tour all over the country, all over the world, doing these songs that were written, in some cases, 70, 80 years ago. So rewind for me take me back to what got you interested in the great american songbook well you know i grew up in new jersey um near atlantic city as a you know young boy and my grandfather and my father and everybody we had a we had a dj in south jersey and i'm sure you heard of him but his name's sid mark sure and you know they used to do sundays with sid and everybody used to have it on where we'd you know have the Sinatra music playing, and pretty much growing up in my house, my father, my great, both grandfathers, and being an Italian, I know Steve Tyrell, who we both know, told the story. He goes, you know, there was like two gods in my house. One was Jesus, and one was Frank Sinatra. You right? Know? And it was oh like, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I didn't really think about it too much. I just kind of just grew up with it. And then as I got in my in like my you know late teens, I would um, I, I think it was around 1991. Um, that the Frank Sinatra put out a greatest hits album it was a CD on reprise where it was the way you look tonight. And I remember that way you look tonight um, cut from a Michelob commercial, which was like 1988, 89. And um, I always loved the song and I always loved the way he sang it. And um, I don't know, for some reason in the back of my mind, I didn't grow up a musician, but in the back of my mind, I always really loved it. And then um, I moved out to Los Angeles. I actually moved out to Los Angeles in the um, in the late '90s to be a television writer, television and film. I was, you know, write, trying to write screenplays and working on some stuff. And I got a job as a singing waiter slash busboy at this Italian restaurant. And everybody was singing Broadway and Sinatra. And I just literally kind of just got into this art form. Um, whether it, whether it was, and I started studying piano, and I went back to school, and I spent about I spent about 10 years doing a music education in Los Angeles, and I realized from a couple of the old-timers that I was working with, and I, and I, and I use that term, you know, I don't want to say old-timers, but, you know, these guys were in their 70s, late 60s. Some of them were in their 80s. Right. Some of them were working into their 90s, and they said, you learn this music, if you really love it like you do, you learn this music, you'll have a job for the rest of your life because you don't have to keep learning 
these songs over and over again. These songs are timeless. They're all from Broadway. They're all from, you know, you know, the great Broadway shows and, and um, a lot of the Tin Pan Alley stuff. And I just found a really cool, I just, I just found a cool career and I just kind of stuck with it. I never really looked back, you know, it's kind of crazy actually. Dave Damiani, our guest on the big time talker podcast. And I know you told me that you actually had an opportunity as a really young guy to see a Sinatra concert in the twilight of his career. Tell me that story. Yeah. I, my father took me when I was, uh, you know, growing up near Atlantic city, there was a famous place called the 500 club and they used to put out the, and I'm you know, as you know, this, cause you know, those Burke, Burke, I work with, you know, Landau, who's a, you know, great friend of ours and one America's got talent. Um, and him and I are about the same age. We're a year off and we grew up listening to this Sinatra music and being from Atlantic city, that area, it, he used to come down every summer. So when he came to the casinos, it was like, what an event. And my dad was trying to get tickets. He was big time gambler at the time. He loved to play blackjack and he was at the Sands. And this was in November of 1995. And it was a Saturday night show and he couldn't get the tickets, but then they sold out and they added one more night. And it was a Sunday night in, in uh, November of 95. And it was the last public show that Frank Sinatra ever did in his career. And I got to attend that with my father and my friend and, and my father's brother. And we sat in one of those little, you know, half moon booths in one of these casino parlor rooms. Maybe there was, maybe there was 800 people. And we got to see Frank Sinatra with a big band. And, and the crazy thing about it is, is that it wound up being his last show. He did some other like events or something, but um, I was blown away. And I wound up meeting like two or three of the musicians from the band that night. They're all in LA still. It's crazy. It's crazy. Wow. What an incredible memory to share that with your dad too, huh? Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And then, you know, this, that was Father's Day it was just Sunday. So it's just like, it was pretty, it was pretty incredible to be able to see him. He was older at the time and, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, but it was Frank, man. It was Frank and he just like, you know, he, he just commanded the stage and commanded the room. And there was a comedian that opened for him too. I think it was either. It was either Tom Dressen or Pat Cooper. I think it was Tom Dressen open for him, yeah. Who I got to meet and I got to work with since. It's really kind of cool. That's neat when it comes full circle like that. What is right. it about these songs that you think have made them timeless? Because so much pop music is, is disposable. They're songs that make it into the top ten and you literally never hear them again. But there's this canon of music from all those years ago that still touches an emotional chord. And, and as you said, you studied it for a long time. You completely changed careers because you love this music so much. You were going to be a writer, now you're a singer. So there must be something about that music, at least to you, but, but to everyone. What is it that, that gives it that, that staying power, you think? Well, I, you know, part of it is, is um, there's a couple things. I think about this sometimes. It's interesting you, br you bring it up because first of it is, is like back in – back in those times there weren't as many songs that were written so people could write songs like you know um on the street where you live or the way you look tonight now all those titles have been taken most of them but back then you were able to write a simple song and you could still do this there's still some great songs that come out um i mean there still are some great pop tunes that I, every time i hear them they tell a story but back in the early you know i'd say the 30s and 40s when they started using these songs in shows to because before they used to have Tin Pan Alley shows and then they had the Broadway shows where they actually used the song to propel 
the narrative of the story from one scene to the next. And I think one of the first song, the first musicals to do that was Oklahoma, where the, the, the song actually moved the story to the next scene. They used to have a song, and then it really had nothing to do with the story, and then they'd have a scene. But then they started making the songs pertinent to the story. And when you think about the fact that they wrote these songs to tell a story, right? Uh, that, that I think that, and then when Miles Davis became a huge sensation, fifties and sixties, uh, he would he brought a lot of these songs back and made them jazz tunes. They made he made them jazz standards. They were pop tunes back in the thirties and forties. So when you sing these songs, or you these the, you had you had uh, guys who wrote music, you had guys who wrote lyrics. You had guys, some of them like Irving Berlin or uh, Cole Porter, who wrote lyrics and music, but they were they were confined to doing those tasks. Some guys just wrote lyrics. Johnny Mercer really just wrote lyrics. He wrote a couple of tunes that he wrote, he, like um, he wrote some melodies, but mostly lyrics. And when you're that specialized, it's easier to be good at something. Now today, I think in the '60s, what happened was when the Beatles came in and they were a sensation. Capital said, Capital Records says, well, we're going to hire all these bands and they're going to write their own music. And that's when the, all the songwriters and, and orchestrators and all those people lost their jobs because they thought they could hire four guys to do the job of 30 people. And they did. But that was the Beatles was a was, you know, was was a once in a lifetime thing. That's when you had all these one hit wonders because you had people writing songs that were like, OK, mediocre and one out of 20 was good. Right. As we're back in the day, you had like, you know, you know, uh, Rogers and Hart, Rogers and Hammerstein. And, you know, you had these you had people who were known for just writing songs. And, and I still they stand up today. There's a couple of great songwriters today. I mean, there's a song that John Mayer wrote called Daughters and Having a Daughter. Every time I hear that song, I'm touched by it. I think that that's a classic. Billy Joel, uh, New York State of Mind. That song is a classic. There are some songs that sustain, but you can only judge that over the period of time, you know. Yeah, you need some historical perspective. Let me ask it a, a different way and maybe a different spin on the question, and that that is this. What is it you think that draws uh, younger people to it? I, you know, I get it when, when my parents were still alive and they would hear these songs, it took them back to their youth. And as a, a guy who came of age in the late 70s, early 80s, when I hear – uh, you know, pop music by M. I immediately go back to early MTV or you know, video kill the radio star. I remember those those moments from youth. But there are a whole lot of people that we see at your concerts, at Landau's concerts, at other artists' concerts, Michael Bublé, um, who are in their twenties and thirties. And I wonder what it is that attracts young people to this genre of music or this this style. I think it's I think it's the coolness factor because for me when I saw Sinatra hanging with you know the Rat Pack and Dean Martin and, and uh, Sammy Davis and these guys and they were smoking cigarettes and they were like you know kind of like a bunch of like grown up kids and but they were doing it in such a cool classy way I think part of it is that I think when you get into like your you know as you're getting a little older you know maybe not as a 12 year old or 13 year old and there's some young 12 or 13 year olds or in seven year olds you see that girl Sophie Fatu who's right. singing these tunes but um you you start to get a little older and you start to want something that's a little more that has a little more cachet or maybe it's a little more slick or has a little more vibe who doesn't like to go to the Wynn Casino in Atlanta in, in Vegas or or to uh you know the big casinos in Atlantic City and walk through and hear the Borgata or resorts and hear Sinatra. And if you feel like you are like, like you're in an upper class, like you have cachet, that it's classy. Um, and it represents 
it represents uh, all that stuff. I think part of it's that. And I think as you get like my friends now that are getting like in their, you know, late twenties or thirties, they're starting to want to not hear that boom, 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 boom. They don't want to hear those. Like they don't want to hang out in a nightclub. They want to be able to sit and have a conversation with some adults and they want to have the music where you can pay attention and enjoy it. But you also want to be able to hear yourself think. And I think that it's a more, I've, I always found jazz and, and, and this type of music, when I started working, I was, I started as a bartender too, for a little bit in a jazz club. I just felt like it was just such a cool vibe. It was like, it wasn't like you're dancing and partying, but it wasn't like you're in an elevator music either. So I, I just, I kind of, I kind of think it has to do something with, with that, you know? I think you're right on both counts. I, I remember those uh, TV commercials with, with Puffy the, for Ciroc and, and the guys are all in their tuxedos with the, the ties undone and, you know, they head out for a night on the town. Or Jay-Z is another artist that, that sort of emulates that, that sort of classy, upscale look. Dave Damiani is our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast, and we're chatting about the great American songbook. And you can check out Dave uh, all over the place. You can find him online uh, at Amazon.com where his CDs are available and hopefully back on tour uh, very soon when the pandemic passes by. Um, tell me one time that you just went, I can't believe this is happening to me because you've had some amazing experiences working with, you know, the, the Sinatra estate or, or preparing that, that Peggy Lee 100th anniversary uh, album. I, there have to be times when, when you're going, I, I can't believe this is me or I, I can't believe I'm having a conversation with this individual. I mean, there's been, there's been a, so many of them that I can't even, I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to, I mean, I, I, but the one that really stands out is probably when we did the Sinatra 100 concert, it was October 15th, 2015. We had Johnny Mandel, um, who wrote the shadow of your smile and Emily and the theme from mesh who we, who we honored. And, um, we had Jane Monheit was part of the bill. Um, Landau Murphy Jr. Of course came in, you were there, yeah. um, we had Renee Olstead. Um, it was an amazing concert in Los Angeles, and I reached out to a friend who had a connection to George Benson. And by the grace of God, George Benson agreed to do this. I mean, we didn't have anywhere near the amount of money to pay him, which he was, you know, because he would get more than we would all get paid for one, you know, one for one song, let, let alone one show. And um, <laughs> he's a 10 time Grammy winner. You know, he doesn't need money anymore. The guy's just, you know, made some good investments. But he showed up in the afternoon. His guitar was put on the stage and someone handed me the guitar case and they said, set this up for George. So here I am taking George Benson's guitar out of his case and I'm putting it on the stage. And George Benson walks up, comes over and shakes my hand, takes the guitar out and we start doing a sound check. And he starts playing, and he starts singing on Broadway. And the band didn't even know it was coming. These guys didn't really know because it goes up and down in, um, it goes up, it goes up, uh, you know, in key, it, it, it keeps going up in half steps. And the whole place just turned around and I'm standing here next to George Benson going, you know, I have a show with this guy tonight and I'm here touching his guitar and here he is this close to me. And through the course of the night, you know, I hung out with George Benson and so many, so many cool things that this music has, has got, has gotten me. I mean, I became friends with Johnny Mandel. Um, I became, I got to meet, um, Joe Piscopo from Saturday Night Live and, and all these great young artists, but Bobby Rydell, 
um, sure. I recorded I recorded with um, Molly Ringwald and I did a few shows together and we went out afterwards for drinks and had pizza and I'm sitting here at a pizzeria somewhere in New York some hole in the wall and she's just like here I am with Molly Ringwald it was just like those things and I say to myself and this music has brought that to me because of everybody who really has appreciation for the arts really does appreciate this type of stuff and this music because it takes it takes a little bit of spontaneity and it takes a little bit of, you know, you have to know, have an idea of what you're doing, but uh, you know, a, a musician and a, a singer is really an actor. So I'm, I feel blessed that I got to hang around with some of these amazing singer, actors, performers. It's just been a, it's a thrill. When we think about the great American songbook, you automatically think Sinatra, he's the King of the Hill. You might think of Dean Martin, uh, Nat King Cole. I wonder because you've studied this music so much and you're a real fan and I've seen you, you know, whip out some obscure things before. I wonder who is an unsung, really talented person from back in the day that you think doesn't get their just desserts now? Well, there's a few, and this is another guy that I got a chance to meet, I, and I had I recorded him. This was like 2000 and it was 2006, maybe um, 2005, 2006. There was a, a singer that I became enthralled with, a guy named Mark Murphy, who in the early 60s recorded an album called Ra, R A H Ra, and that was on Riverside Records, and it became something that I literally played, I don't know, a thousand times. He recorded all these standards and he had guys like Wynton Kelly and Bill Evans were on piano. I mean, I mean, it was just like Clark Terry on trumpet. I mean, one after another, your jazz heroes, but this guy was such an incredible performer and singer and just phrase like nobody I've ever heard. Mark Murphy's one of my favorites. There's another guy named Buddy Greco who had a pretty big career. A lot of people heard of the song, the ladies of tramp. He had a number one hit on that. And he did it. That's why, that's why the lady, that's why, that's why the lady is a tramp. And it was just really cool. He snapped at his fingers. But um, Bobby Rydell was another one that had some great recordings. And what happened was when, the, for real, literally, when the Beatles kind of came in and, and kind of, you know, came to America, they, they kind of ended that. I mean, sure. they, they stopped spending all this money and on all these records and arrangements and because it is a huge production to have, you know, 20 guys in a studio, sometimes 35, 40 with strings and then a guy singing that kind of came to a halt unless you were already a super duper star like Nat Cole, you know, Dean Martin, the, those guys still stayed around. But the ones that were kind of on, up and coming. They kind of got the short end of the stick, and Mark Murphy was definitely one of those guys. Mark Murphy, check him out if you're a jazz singer, and he's inspired so many singers like Kurt Elling and some of the new singers that that we know. I don't want to say new, but the, the you know current day people that are out there doing it. So you do some behind the scenes stuff too. You produced albums, uh, produced tours, but you still perform. You still get out there and sing. What what is your favorite part of the job? Um. My favorite part of the job, I mean, I, I really always kind of looked at it like my mom growing up was just like a great person to have a party. She just always made sure that everybody would have enough food, whether it was her meatballs or, or whether it was the drinks in the house or whenever we had a party, people wanted to come to our house and come to the party because – and I look at a performance or a show the same way, whether it be um, – I mean, I, of course, I love to perform, but I also love um, – providing a band and i love working with great artists like landau murphy jr or renee olstead or Haley reinhardt i like being i like putting i like putting it all together 
and making sure that everyone's enjoying it and everyone's having a good time. And I can sense when someone is stressed out or something's off, I can just sense it. And for some reason, I think that's been my kind of trademark is that, you know, Dave just gets things done. That's been kind of like what I do. And I mean, as much as I'd love to just show up and sing, that's never been the case. And I'm not sure if that ever will be the case because my performance career has been, you know, based on what I can do and what else I can bring to the party. So I just kind of just take that as a gift. And uh, that's what I really love to do. Dave Damiani is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast. Check him out online and uh, pick up some Dave Damiani music. Uh, as we record this podcast, most live performance around the country is shut down for the foreseeable future. And um, I wonder what a guy who performs for a living does day to day to sort of keep himself engaged and keep himself busy and, and relevant. So what is a day in the life of Dave Damiani who can't tour anymore, who can't perform as much? What does that look like now? Well, you know, my thing has always been, you know, and I, and I met, and I probably should have added this too on that last question, but I love to, you know, take the standards like these American songbook songs. And I like to come up with different ways of doing them that haven't been done before, because a lot of these artists, they go out and they just try and t- take the Sinatra arrangement or they take something and they try and do the same thing or very close to it. I try and take it and bend, you know, I call my album bending the standard. So I try and take the stand. So I've been working on different songs and I've been working on, we did a little, that Peggy Lee 100 thing. I produced that a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago now, maybe two months ago. God, this has been going on so long, this quarantine, but yeah. um, just trying to come up with different ways to do some, some standards and some creative ways to do it, keep people engaged. You know, um, that's what I've been working on. Trying not to watch the news because it's depressing. Uh, but this is, you know, stuff like this. I've been doing some stuff online, um, putting out some a couple new songs that I had in the can, and um, writing some new material, and uh, you know, just trying to stay busy because it really is, you know, you can let this thing, you can let this pandemic really get you down, or you can use it like what we we were talking about earlier, Burke, is you can use it as an as a as a uh, an opportunity, because like we said, a lot of people aren't going to be out there risking their life because they don't need to. But, you know, I still have to go out and provide an income and do some things. So got to just be creative, you know. Dave Damiani, our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast. We're talking about the Great American Songbook and and all those classic artists. Um, Let's talk about some newer artists that you work with uh, and, and who are out there who are keeping the music alive. We, we talked about Landau, who we both know very well from America's Got Talent, who just blew everybody away when he went on that TV show. And you don't expect a guy that looks like that to sing these kinds of songs. Um, what are some of the, the folks that, that you've seen out there that, that maybe don't des- uh, receive as much national attention as a Landau? You know, who's out there keeping the music alive from, from that era that, that really blows you away? Um, there's a there's a young artist that I am just I am in love with. I haven't had a chance to work with her. I just met her once, um, but I mean she's one of the most talented artists I've ever seen. And she got her start up in New York City at Birdland. Gianni, who runs Birdland, I think is managing her, and her name is Veronica Swift. If you haven't seen her perform, you will be blown away. She's like the she's like the second coming of Ella Fitzgerald. She's absolutely gorgeous. She's incredible. Um, I mean, I, she's already got an incredible career for herself in the jazz. She's doing the jazz cruises and, you know, some of the, it's a whole, it's a whole nother world. These people that do these jazz cruises and stuff, 
Um, I, I think she's just fantastic. Uh, I love, as you know, Renee Olstead, who I've been working with for years. Um, you know, she had a big, big career when she was like 14, 15 years old and then became an actress. And, but she's put out some really cool stuff and, and some country music. Um, we know Haley Reinhardt, who's a pretty big star, um, in her own right. And, um, has been doing some really cool stuff and I love working with her. And, um, and I'm trying to think there's a couple of like, for instance, Maya Sykes is somebody who everybody might know because familiar with that band postmodern jukebox, right? Sure. Uh, so they have millions of followers and, what Scott Bradley has done is he's taken these songs, the pop songs from the eighties and nineties, seventies, some of them, and he's made them into like kind of jazz tunes and he has different singers come on. And Maya Sykes, who, who I've known for years, just as a staple, she, she's done music in the film La La Land. Right. She did a lot of the background vocals. She was in the movie Dolomite with Eddie Murphy. She has done so much stuff. She's on the Peggy Lee, um, thing we just did. And, uh, I don't know of anybody who can sing like her. I mean, she's incredible. She sounds like she sounds like Aretha Franklin mixed with uh, Ella Fitzgerald mixed with Peggy Lee, and um, she really hasn't gotten uh, her 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 like her due. Um, another great artist that I work with named Emmy Seacrest, who sings back up with John Legend. It's EMI Seacrest has put out some incredible material. Um, it's it's really difficult because I know that they say that you know. YouTube and Spotify and all these all these ways you could there's so many ways to receive music now there's almost too much information out there to, to make sure that everybody gets heard because you could be listening to all this music all day long so I'm looking forward to maybe getting involved and, and putting some more of this music out you know on a different platform of some sort but I just everyone's trying to figure out how to do that because you know the industry's changed so much so it's really really difficult if you're up and coming, I know that you have YouTube, but it's like if you don't have a an instant hit, it doesn't mean it's not great, you know. I guess uh, there's some artists uh, that are much bigger in this genre in, in Europe. There's a great uh, jazz singer that I love. I don't know if you're hip to a guy named Gregory Porter. Um, oh, Gregory Porter's amazing. Yeah, and, and, you know, he has a little bit of a foothold here in the States where he's from. But, man, you put that guy in Europe, and he sells out huge theaters. And uh, – I wonder, because you've done some work overseas as well, what it is about that European audience that has always really championed this very quintessential American music. Why do you think they love jazz so much? I, you know, there's another guy, you talk about Gregory Porter, there's another guy named Jamie Cullum who has like, you know, millions and millions of records sold in London, and he's from London. And you come here and like, People know who he is, but not like that. I mean, yeah. I think I think the audience out there, um, the European audience, they 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 re appreciate American music because jazz really is the original form of American music, rhythm and blues, jazz. They appreciate that music here maybe more than we do. I mean, one of the first songs that Paul McCartney and John Lennon ever sang was a Jimmy McHugh song, um, and they really love the standards. And you're seeing a lot of these older artists that are from Europe, Rod Stewart, Paul McCartney. They're putting out standards records. I think it's more of their fabric than it is our own. I, I, I really don't understand it. I really don't. I mean, they really have an appreciation for our music much more than we do. Dave Damiani uh, is our guest, and, and the music is timeless. It's the great American songbook. Um, what what gets you excited today? What, what gets you motivated to get out there and do it? Because – it's tough. I mean, you have a lane that's all your own, but it's not a wide lane. 
So what is it that, that, you know, makes you want to put your feet on the floor and really kick it into gear? I'll tell you, really, be honest with you. I love the camaraderie of being on the road and being um, performing and being out somewhere like being in Atlantic city for a month or being in Vegas for a week. Or I love the camaraderie of being with my friends. So I start to get sick. Like Landau and I talked and we were doing a little thing online where we were, you know, zooming and doing like a little on the DL, a little podcast thing. And, um, it's like, if I know that I can see him or if I can see my friends or be with them, or put something together or we can really perform that really gets me excited because I, I love that whole, there's nothing like working. And I just grew up working from when I was a kid. So I get like, I get sick. If I'm just like, if I'm not performing, if I'm not doing something, I get like, literally I get, I, I feel it affects my physical state. So pretty much that, you know, pretty much just the need to get out, you know, and do something creative. So the pandemic has been really tough for you and, and, you know, as I talk to people in the music industry, as tough as it is for the artist, there's an entire um, whole working group of people that are behind the scenes that are really, really in a bad way because most tours tend to ramp up. Uh, you know, they take most of the winter off. They ramp up in early March, which is when the pandemic hit. So all the sound company people and the lighting directors and, the you know, the ticket takers and the tour accountants and the venue operators, they're all in a really, really bad place right now. What... And I know none of us have a crystal ball, but what are you hearing out there as to what the resolution is going to be for for live performance in America? I'm starting to see some things come back. Like here in Los Angeles, as you know, I, I do I have really a couple of great clients out here, and I and I do some entertainment with conventions and different outdoor things, like places like the Grove, which is like a it's an outdoor shopping mall, but they have a stage, and we do concerts in the park there, and we're starting to get calls to come back there. Um, and we're not really broadcasting it because they really they really want to kind of see how it goes because they're worried about if there's another spike. But we're starting to do Fridays and Saturday shows, and and I'm starting to kind of see things coming back. But everything, you know, employees are still furloughed. There's not as many people. Not all the stores are open, and not all of the like casinos. Like for instance, in Atlantic City, I know they're planning on open for July Fourth weekend. But there's there's really like there's really like everyone's kind of tentative to kind of see what happens but then sure. and like and that's and we were talking about this it's like it's stressful how much effort do you put in i mean you know who to call who who buy entertainment and i know some people who to call and how much effort can you put into something when you don't really know if are you crazy are people going to say this guy's bothering me trying to trying to get back to work and we're not even close i'm starting to sense that if i had to put a bet I would say that some of these major casinos and some of these major places where people go and see this type of stuff that we do, they're going to start opening up in like 25 to 50 percent capacity in the lounges. I don't think you're going to have many big theater shows. If if they do, I think they're going to be set up more like parlors where people are sitting down at a dinner table and they're socially distanced. But I know that Catalina Jazz Club in Hollywood's coming back and we, I have a show there. It's, uh, July 23rd, we're doing a Peggy Lee show with Kate Flannery from The Office and Maya Sykes. And we're going to have some things coming back, but it's all contingent on, you know, what, like, the, I, I see right now the, the virus is now, as they're saying, is, is spreading at an unacceptable rate. Like, okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean that we're going to close back down? I don't know. I mean, I'm hopeful that we kind of, we kind of power through it, but, you know, the, the most important thing is to be safe. So it's, it's really, really, very stressful very stressful 
And the mathematics have to work, too, for everyone. You know, if, if you can only open at 25% or 50% capacity, does that work for a venue? Uh, so I, I think this is actually a good place for us to talk about as, as we get close to wrapping up, supporting uh, artists in, in other ways besides live performance. So, for example, you have CDs and, and other merchandise available on your website. What, what's the best way to support uh, an up-and-coming artist right now? Is it to buy their merchandise online? I think buy the merchandise online. Um, you know, da- go to davedamiani.com if you guys like my stuff and check it out. You can find the stuff. I mean, even if you're if you're doing, um, you know, Spotify or streaming stuff or iTunes and you know all that stuff generates you know uh, some income for artists. Uh, you know, some artists have GoFundMe pages. I know Catalina Jazz Club's doing a GoFundMe to stay open and. Um, I, you know, it's kind of tough because you don't really, I don't, you don't really want to ask for, for people to just send you donations or anything like that because it's like, you know, you want people to buy a ticket, you want people to come to a show. People are just starting to do some shows, some streaming things, but it's just not the same. I mean, it's just not the same, Burke. I mean, to stream a show online with, you know, and have people not. The whole point of this music is to perform for a live audience, and that's really the key. We really have to figure out a way to kind of do that maybe if it's in a car a car concert a drive-in concert i'm just thinking outside the box but that that's pretty much what i i, I don't really know what to say about that it's you tough know? it's a tough one to wrestle to the ground uh, but certainly all those things help so if if you like the great american songbook check out uh, your favorite artists there and, and load them up on your spotify your pandora playlist and maybe pick up a cd or buy a t-shirt online Hey, Dave, I look forward to the time that you and I can spend some time together on the road again, and I appreciate you uh, taking time out to do this with us today. Hey, same here, Burke. Thanks for having me be part of your show. I know you've been really successful, so congratulations, and um, thanks again for all you do, and I look forward to seeing you. Can't wait to to see you soon. That's my man, Dave Damiani from davedamiani.com, an incredible singer, incredible songwriter as well, and uh, check him out at davedamiani.com, amazon.com, wherever you pick up. Your music. The Big Time Talker podcast brought to you by SpeakerMatch.com. I'm Burke Allen. Thank you so much for listening. Now go out and make it a great day.